You're listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast's Financial Friday, a dedicated show about how to apply principled theory to a financial strategy, getting you one step closer to financial freedom. Hey everyone, this is Patrick Donahoe. Welcome to another episode of Financial Fridays. And I have an interesting topic today. It's oil and gas investment. And I have as my guest, Bo Flowers, who's the president of Lone Star Asset Management. And Bo participated in the Cashflow Wealth Summit and also was a, one of the sponsors. The relationship with Bo is just recent over the last year or so. And so I'm excited to learn more about his business and also about the oil and gas industry that I have some experience in, and I can't wait to get into it. So, Bo, first off, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me. We talked a little bit before we started recording, and I look at the oil and gas industry. There's so many different facets of it, and you know, with the, I would say, social opinion of the biggest driving population right now, which is the millennial generation, right, who are making their ways in the workplace and and they're living differently, right? And so you look at, okay, oil and gas, the stereotype is that, okay, it's for burning fossil fuels and it's for cars and for transportation, right? So, and there's a big movement for green, right? So it's one of those things where the stereotype and the misconception people often have about the oil and gas industry, it's just for fuel. So why don't you just talk maybe from a 30,000 foot view about the oil and gas industry, where it's at right now, where you think it's going, and then we'll go from there. You know, the new millennial generation kind of, starts establishing itself as the prominent figures in the economy and then in society, the oil and gas business is, you know, I could say, can see where it's starting to get somewhat of a negative connotation towards it with the, the whole pushing for the green movement and wanting to eliminate fossil fuels is becoming more of a, of a thing that you hear about. But at the end of the day, where we are right now in where our civilization is right now is, is we're nowhere near being in a position to where we can eliminate or even come close to eliminating the use of fossil fuels. It's still the most prevalent and probably, you know, one of the most important industries in the economy today. This is where we are right now. And so the oil and gas business is so big and so broad, and there's so many different ways to get into it. And what we try to do is find our little niche, find our little corner in the industry and do specific things that are profitable to us and profitable to our investing partners. And essentially what we do there is our main concentration is wealth preservation. You can go out into a wide variety of, of aspects in the business where the risk factors can be really low and to, and to really high. It just depends on what your tolerance is. And we just try to carve out our little niche into this already prevalent, essential aspect of our economy and try to be as profitable as we can at that and not really concern ourselves with the rhetoric or, you know, any connotations that might be evolving with today's millennial driven society. Yeah, it's interesting. You look at the perspective that we have as Americans and we often place our perspective of what life is and how things work and assume that everybody else in the world has that perspective. My wife grew up in Mexico and I had no really understanding of what poverty was right until I visited and actually experienced, you know, the neighborhood she grew up in and 
and how people live. And, and their people are really happy there, but yet, you know, it's a totally different perspective. And if you go to like third world countries, it's the same thing. And if you look at, you know, the emerging markets and the massive economies that are on the rise, whether it's India or China or Africa, these are economies that don't have this massive dependence on fossil fuels. However, because they're emerging, because technology is integrating into their emergence, they're obviously going to have demand. And so you look at, you know, the demand now for oil in China, the demand in other parts of Asia, in India, as well as in, in Africa. I mean, it's massive. Maybe the U.S. and in our you know, production, we're headed toward more of a green and setting trends there. But like you were saying, the transition from being exclusively dependent on fossil fuels to slowly decreasing that dependence, it's not a one-year, five-year, 10-year, it's probably a, a couple-decade transition. What do you think about that? That's a very good point. And there's actually two things that I would address about what you just said. And the first was our dependence and our demand for fossil fuels and and the things that fossil fuels provide us is not really decreasing. I mean, if you look at the actual facts and statistics of the supply, the demand, and the usage of fossil fuels to provide the things that we need, even above and beyond in transportation, I mean, it's still a very, very needed commodity. One thing that I would address is, you know, we mentioned the push from millennials and now being such a big member and prevalent member of society. Well, they're also a very vocal generation class. And, you know, with social media. Yeah, and they have a different medium to actually vocalize their opinions where it's, you know, it's not like it was in the past where it was closed to your neighborhood, right? Or the bar where you hung out with your friends, the coffee shop. Right now it's like, they take that message and because they grew up on technology, the message and the opinion just magnifies. Yeah, that's exactly right. And just because their opinion or their word or message is broadcasted on such a wider spectrum now than, than it ever has been in the past, doesn't mean it's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and doesn't mean that they're right all the time. And I'm not saying that we don't need to, as a society, start transitioning into other alternatives. You know, fossil fuel needs to make advances, you know, and we need to have different kind of renewable energy sources. Certainly not saying that. I'm just saying right now we are where we are. And so from a economic financial standpoint, our goal is to take advantage of where we are and where we're going to be for the foreseeable future. And that's what our goal is in our firm. And the second thing I would address, you know, you were mentioning of geographic locations and cultural backgrounds influencing what your views are and and perceptions are of different things. And that brings me to why I'm in the oil business. I'm from Texas. And when you grow up in Texas, you know, from an outsider looking in, the guys that aren't familiar with our industry and aren't familiar with our culture, you know, they think oil business, they get this negative connotation because they think J.R. Ewing sitting at the top of a big building in Dallas, smoking a cigar with a big cowboy hat, making money hands over fist. And that's just a general connotation that folks outside of our industry kind of look at it as. But when you grow up in it, when you're in Texas, you look at it not as something like that. You look at it as your lifeline, as our livelihood. It influences every aspect of our day-to-day lives at some point or another. We're talking about people that are that run in the companies producing the oil, all the way down to 80% of the working families that I grew up with in my small town were 
employed and fed their families from this industry. Where we're from, it's definitely quite the opposite of a negative outlook. It's our lifeline without it. And you can even see our business is very cyclical and it has its ebbs and flows for sure. And you see how detrimental those ebbs can be and those low points in the in the business can be. So that's why we really hang on to it and, and try to push and, and still be a part of this industry uh, because it's what got us here from every definition of the word. The opportunities with really any industry, there's what exists, it's where it exists in the past, and that's what exists in, in the future, right? And looking at, again, just the oil and gas industry, it's a major part of our country, right? And the opinion, the stereotype of guys with big hats sitting up and smoking you know, cigars, I'm sure that that's changing. I want to go there really quick because one of the things I've perceived in you know, the financial industry over the last 10 to 20 years is there's a significant shift. I think the 2008, 2009 financial crisis really forced it in a sense where you know, individuals were taking you know, matters into their own hands. Individuals you know, were not using stockbrokers, were not using money managers, but also they're pivoted to these you know, robo platforms or technology. And there's such a quick evolution. And a lot of financial advisors or the financial industry has had a really difficult time keeping up. And by the time they try to steer their battleship in the direction of where things are going, right, it's changed again, right? And there's new trends and there's new demands. And, and so I look at, you know, the same thing with the oil and gas industry, where it's really, I would say, controlled by some really big, big players. But because of how big they are, it's sometimes difficult to pivot, which provides opportunities for smaller firms to go in and, you know, find a niche and capitalize on that. So maybe talk just briefly about what you see as, you know, your industry and how the guard is changing and how things are evolving and the opportunities that are presenting themselves to smaller firms. Glad you brought that up because what you just mentioned and what you just talked about is kind of our driving motive of when, while we started this company and while we do what we do is because of the different natures of the business between large scale operators like your Exxon Mobiles, your ConocoPhillips, your huge companies that you hear about, your Valeros that you hear about every day that you pump your gas in. And a lot of people think that that is the, you know, when they think about the old business, that's all they think about. Well, they are the biggest players, but there's a whole lot in our industry that goes on outside of that. Since about the mid, late 1990s and early 2000s, since we went through what's called the shell play revolution, where we have essentially discovered a brand new way to really efficiently produce these massive wells that the big guys produce. And that's all they're concerned about with now is going in and looking at $50 million developments, drilling 30 or 40, 50 wells, whatever it is, all at once of these extremely expensive wells to drill, but have these astonishing production rates. When that shift happened and really started happening in the mid 2000s, whenever the big companies completely shifted their focus to those kind of developments, there was a ton of what we call conventional plays that were just left. That wasn't what they were concerned with anymore. And so what we do in our company is we kind of follow where these big companies started and spent their money researching and developing and, and all their resources figuring out where to drill and, and, and how to drill in certain areas that they never finished, essentially. When they shift their focus to a different 
business model of the shell play, we go in and acquire their data. We acquire all their records, everything that they had, and we just kind of pick up where they left off, which for us works out really, really well because it, one, we get a plethora of research and data that really would be uneconomical for a company of mid-level or small level producer to be able to afford that level of research. And we can acquire that from them for a much reasonable financial compensation. And we can go in and pick up where they left off, but they had every intention of doing. And then New Revolution came along, they shifted their focus and they just kind of forgot about this stepchild. It's not quite as good as what they're doing out there, but it's really, really good for a producer like us. So that's kind of our philosophy and what we try to do and we're evaluating our prospects and it's worked out really, really well over the last six or seven years. Yeah. And that's where I'd say as things shift and with the discovery of new ways in which you can extract oil and then, you know, finding big plays that have never been tapped before. I mean, that's where all the big players can go, but obviously there's limitations, right? Where they need to have a lot of money at work and require a lot in return, right? To get a good return on investment. And when it gets to be smaller, that's when, you know, the numbers don't make as much sense as they did previously. So it obviously allows you guys to go in and, you know, to kind of clean up. So this is where I was excited because I look at this and I look at, you know, we've had some guests on over the last several years in regards to oil and gas. And I know that a lot of your education and what you provide on your website and talk to people about, right, goes into a lot of the details of why this is just a significant opportunity, which I completely agree with. I want to just maybe take the last five to 10 minutes of our interview and get into what makes or breaks an opportunity, which isn't necessarily the opportunity itself. And on the Cashflow Wealth Summit, the presentation that I gave really talked about Robert Kiyosaki's BI Triangle and how a successful product is supported. So a product could be investment, it could be a commodity, it could be a business. And that's where the least important thing is the actual product, service, and investment. The most important thing, right, is the underlying infrastructure that supports it. And my exposure to oil and gas, I've seen some really big success, but I've seen also some failure because of mismanagement and poor management, poor understanding of details, poor communication. I mean, it wasn't intentional, but I've also seen like some intentional things too, where it was complete fraud. And so I look at, you have an asset management company and you're in this industry, because I'm sure you've heard way more stories than I've heard. How have you used the lessons of others and used the failures and the successes, right, to build your operational structure and how you've set up your business to be different and successfully execute on your business objective in this massive opportunity? There's several different answers to that. One is, in some cases, learning the hard way. <laughs> One thing about our businesses is, is you get amazing tax benefits, better than any other investment vehicle that I know of and any of my investors have known of. But these investments are, do not come without risk. And anytime, no matter what you do in, in our business, it's going to have a risk factor to it. Probably a little bit higher risk factor than any other investment vehicle most of our partners have invested in. But what I've found is kind of the old saying, keep it simple, stupid, is what we've learned works best for us. And in this business, especially when you start having a footprint in the business over a few years like we do now, you get 
you can't imagine the opportunities or deals that come across our desk of folks that think they've got the next biggest well in Texas or whatever. And it's really hard. And I've seen companies that I worked for in the past and even my company and, and being guilty of it myself to some degree is sometimes it's easy to get stars in your eyes in this business. You know, people come and you see opportunities and all you think about is the upside. And when we're talking tremendous upside, we've had deals pay back the entire investment within 30 days, which is unheard of in any other typical investment vehicle. But those deals are few and far between. So we built our team. I've got a very dynamic team of close-knit group of guys, a 50-year veteran in the field. Andy Whitehead is our operating partner that kind of has an old-school mentality of evaluating our deals. He and his dad have been doing this for 50 years, you know, using his own money and for the most part. So he evaluates them very conservatively. And we're not necessarily looking to knock one out of the park every time, but we're trying to look at the put us in the best opportunity to make some money that puts us in the lowest risk opportunity of losing our money. And that's the real hard thing in our business to evaluate is to be able to walk away from those opportunities that are presented to you that have like this tremendous upside that puts stars in your eyes and sometimes make you forget about the heavy risk factor that comes along with it. So we got to be disciplined in our company and checks and balances system to be able to pull the reins back walk away from deals and stick to a more conservative approach that, you know, may not have the tremendous upside as the other deals, but it also doesn't carry near the risk factor and and gives our investing partners and ourselves, because every deal we do, we've got our own money into it. We're shoulder to shoulder with our investing partners and everything that we do. So we also have more motivation than anyone to preserve our capital and to give us the biggest opportunity to help that grow and not lose it, which is something that can be done pretty easily in this business if you're not careful. Yeah, that's one of the worst things to happen in any business. And I always look at it because we're in Salt Lake City and our office is right next to a huge conference center that takes up like an entire city block, right? And so I sometimes equate it to a restaurant starting two days before one of the biggest conferences comes into town, right? And assumes that the rest of the year is going to be like that weekend where they have people out the door and you're hiring and you're ordering food and before you know it, everyone's gone, right? And there's three patrons in the afternoon, right? So it's one of those things that you gotta be very cautious, right? Because I've seen that. And that's one of those reasons to have good structure, right? Because good structure allows you to make good decisions when things don't go as planned. And so you have plan Bs, you have communication, figuring out what can we do at this point relative to whatever the challenge is. Because every opportunity, every business gets these curveballs that you're not prepared for. Could be legislative curveballs, could be economical curveballs, it could be, you know, in your case, oil prices. You know, you don't know what OPEC is gonna yeah. do here, 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 and here, right? That's why you have a, just a massive options market in, you know, the oil and gas industry. It's one of those things where if you have good structure, when things go wrong, you make the right decision, not when things are going great. So what have you seen maybe as a result of poor choices in the industry that have led to some pretty bad outcomes? I'll kind of look at it from a different perspective because what we try to do is we try to make a good outcome for us based on some really poor decisions of other companies. (laughs) I mean, it's not like predatory or it's not something we go and prey on companies, but with this cyclical environment, just like you're talking about, when nobody knows what oil prices are going to do, when they're high, 
like they were in 2008 and then again in 2013, 12 and 13, when they're high, all the typical governing rules of economics go out the window. I mean, it's just the wild, wild west is what I call it in the business. When oil prices are high, nobody cares what they're spending. Nobody evaluates budgets. Nobody looks at anything except what can we do to get the most oil out of the ground right now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies make a lot of money doing that. So I, I can see where those mistakes are made. But a company did that in our area there in Southeast Texas, where we are very active, a company that was doing really, really well right there in 2010, 12, 11, and 12, they were bringing in after expenses, 34 million a month, you know, really big money and got overextended, got greedy, put a bunch of money into some stuff that they weren't familiar with, borrowed a bunch of money against, you know, their production to expand their operation into something that wasn't their bread and butter. And then when the prices fell, that was it. They were done. Their financial backer out of New York pulled their funding and they were done. And I went in 2016 or starting in late 2015, finalized the deal in 2016, is I went in and bought up. I mean, if you put it in perspective with all they had spent, probably $22, $23 million worth of their assets for pennies on the dollar. And when I say pennies on the dollar, I mean that in the truest form and went in and revamped them, repumped it up and made a lot of money off of what they couldn't keep going because of their poor decisions whenever the prices were high. So yeah, the big part of structure, right, is knowing, you know, what you say yes to and what you say no to. And it's hard yeah. sometimes to say no to that greed factor because that's one of those irrational drives that usually kills people is when the decision is made because of that, right, and not a, a rational model that dictates what your business parameters are. I think we're all guilty of it. I certainly am saying yes to way too many things, right? It, you lose focus and you don't have any focus anywhere, right? And things end up not working out in a few areas and it hurts. And so really, if you go into and understand, okay, this is what we say yes to, here are our parameters, this is what we say no to, it makes it really easy so that when that volatility produces something that seems like, wow, this is a five-star, stars in my eyes, we're going to make a killing, right? It's one of those, uh, well, should we do that? Does it fit with our... And that's why, you know, having a good team, right, having a good debate, having good perspective, you know, allows for the best outcome. And so that's why I went down that road is because, yeah, you're hitting on certain things where that's evident in so many industries. I mean, real estate is obviously one of them where people were buying stuff, pennies on the dollar. And but it was only the people that really understood what was going on. that had the pennies right to pay. Because the people yeah. who were letting it go, they didn't have pennies. <laughs> so Yeah, that's exactly right. And like I said, I haven't learned only from other people's mistakes. I've been guilty of it myself. And I tell my business partners and guys that we do business with every day that four or five years ago, what I thought was literally the worst thing that could have happened to me in business and even in life at one point with some deals that didn't go as we planned in our early stages when we needed them really the most that actually turned out to be one of the most beneficial things that ever happened to me in my career because had I not took those bumps and bruises early and saw those curveballs that this industry can throw you firsthand right off the bat and learned how to sustain from those curveballs, then I wouldn't be where I am today. And we wouldn't have the business model that we've kind of over the past 18 to 24 months has proven to be really, really successful when we kind of like the tortoise and the hare, go back to slow and steady wins the race. <laughs> 
and is exactly what's worked for us. So. In business and investment, I've learned whether it's hiring employees or investing in a company or bringing a company on as a strategic partner or aligning with, you know, with this firm or that firm, if they haven't had their bumps and bruises, it's like, you have no idea how they're going to behave when they get them. Cause it's, that's an inevitability when things are at their worst and people do the right thing. That's one of the greatest signs you can have, right? Because that's ultimately what happens is when things don't work out and people are not used to failure, they're not used to things not going as planned and what to do about it. It's sixes. You could get a guy, a person that has great morals, great ethics and do the right thing, right? Or you can get the other side where they don't make the right decisions. And that's the thing is we, we all have our bumps. We all have our bruises. And knowing that and having someone that you align with in whatever capacity and that hasn't had them, I think that's one of the worst decisions you can make, <laughs> frankly. Absolutely. So, well, Bo, this has been awesome. I appreciate you being candid because you know, this is what investment is about, right? There's always inherent risk, right? You have, and there's not just one type of risk. Like we mentioned, you have political risk, you have economic risk. I would say though, the prevalent risk that you have is people risk. Yeah. And that's where, you know, understanding the dynamic of a team, a dynamic of a company and how to communicate and how to have good operations. That's where businesses make or break themselves. And so thanks for sharing your opinion and perspective there. Again, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. And like I said, the investments that we offer and, and folks that invest in our kind of projects are a really specific target audience. It's definitely not for everybody. But at the end of the day, you know, we've kind of harped on the risk and the downside of the business. But at the end of the day, we wouldn't be in it and keep doing it if there wasn't more money to be made in this than any other business that I know of. We go out there and we sustain those risks and we sustain those bumps and bruises. And when we do have success, which is Way more often than not, the returns that we see in this business, even at today's moderate oil prices, are just astronomical compared to normal investment vehicles. So there's a reason that our folks keep investing with us time and time again, and the reason we keep putting our money into the projects time and time again, because there is a lot of money to be made out there, and that's why it's kind of one of the biggest backbones of our economy and society, in my opinion. Well, but why don't you give the listeners ways that they can learn more about you, learn more about your company, learn more about the industry and you know, the specific opportunities you have available? Oh, well, okay. The best way to check us out, the best way to start was just to be to visit our website at LoneStarAssetManagement.com. From there, you can get a history of us in the background of our company and links and resources to help you learn about the industry and the tax benefits of investing in oil and gas, which are phenomenal, things of that nature. And then if it's something that anybody's interested in actually, you know, discussing further, when you get on the website, there's a right there at the bottom of the main page, you can schedule a free one-on-one -on -one consultation. And, and usually that consists of about a 10 to 15 minute conversation with me or somebody here in the office to explain to them what the investment upside is, what the risk is of what we're currently offering what our goals are for our folks in building a small oil and gas investment portfolio outside of their primary investment portfolio and just go from there. But yeah, the best way to look us up is LoneStarAssetManagement.com and reaching out that way. If you have any questions, all our contact information, phone number and everything is on there and we'd be happy to, to talk with anybody interested and get any questions answered that we can. Okay, Bo. Well, it's been great. Thank you again for your time. And we'll make sure we post those links and uh, more information about you guys on the show notes. 
So thanks again, Bo. I'm sure you're going to have an awesome year. Best of luck to you. And thanks for being on. Thanks again for having me. I look forward to talking with you soon. The new year brings about new goals and potential new strategies for success. There is no better time to get started on achieving those goals than now. Lone Star Asset Management is a leading provider of private placements in the oil and gas industry. Right now, they're offering a free consultation with one of their specialists to help you learn how these placements can both reduce your tax liability and improve your overall financial strategy. If you want to learn how to take a fully tax-deductible position and see return potentials like never before, simply call 512-375-3990 or send an email to info at LoneStarAssetManagement.com to schedule your free consultation. Appointments are offered on a first-come, first-served basis. Act now to take advantage of the huge tax deductions and kick off the year right. You can also learn more by visiting www.LoneStarAssetManagement.com. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, TheWealthStandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Lord.